0: divinity that has a ring to it doesn't it a habitat for divinity you know i've been uh probably about the last 5 years i've been recognizing the fact that i'm getting older i will admit to you that in the last year it's really gotten to me what i used to be able to do and what i can't do now but we're getting ready in my life, to live somewhere other than where we've always lived. And let me explain that to you. When we first got married, the day that we got married, I bought a house. We only lived in that house, I don't know, maybe two years. And then the United Methodist Church, who had told me, you don't have to worry about going anywhere in the near future, that you're going to have to wait probably eight or nine years before we put you anywhere. After two years, they found a place to put me. And that meant that I had to move into what we lovingly call in the United Methodist Church a parsonage. And so since 1987, I have lived in somebody else's house. Now, you may say, wow, Joel, that is wonderful. I could argue that with you because if you have your own house, you have equity. If you live in a parsonage, I won't even get into it with you. But for the last five years or so, I've recognized that I need to get some things in order for the day when I'm no longer pastoring churches, and I have to live in my own place. That is what David, or rather King Solomon is talking about in this prayer. But it's not a place for himself. It's a place for God. You'll notice if you listen to the prayer that he said every time he prayed, he said that God dwelt in heaven, but there was this house that he had built for God. And he asked the question, can God really live on earth? Because in his prayer, he kept saying, Hear from heaven your dwelling place. How many of you are familiar with the old hymn, Near to the Heart of God? How many of you know that hymn? You don't know that hymn. It it is in the United Methodist Hymnal. Um, I, almost try, I did try to get it so we could sing it today, but I couldn't get copyright permissions to do it, so I'm just going to have to read it to you. Um, it goes like this. Listen to it. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort, sweet, near to the heart of God, a place where we are Savior meet, near to the heart of God. There's a place of full release, near to the heart of God, a place where all is joy and peace, near to the heart of God. And Him, with its wonderful words, was born out of one of the most tragic circumstances the writer had ever experienced. This guy was... Called Clayland McAfee. He lived from 1866 to 1944. But he had lost two baby nieces to diphtheria in 1903. He was a preacher, he was a choir director, he went on to become a, a, a scholar at a seminary, he did all of that, but his nieces had died in 1903. And he knew that he had to address in his little town in Michigan, Uh, the death of those two little girls. And so on uh, on an evening of the week that they died, he sat down with a pen in hand, and he wrote that song. On Saturday night, his choir got together, the church's choir got together. They learned the song, and they went out to the home of Mr. McAfee's brother, the father of these two little girls, and they sang that song. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest, near to the heart of God. I don't know if that brought any comfort to his brother or not. But it speaks a little bit about what I want to talk to you about today. You've heard the expression, home is where the heart is. Wherever your heart is, that's where your checkbook, your time, your effort, your energy, and everything will be poured into there's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. This week, when I leave you today, I go home to pack up the rolling house so we can go take our grandson on an annual trip that we make with him. It will only be a couple of days this year because we've got a bigger deal happening in that my son Jacob and his wife Bailey are coming home. And it's a wedding that he's coming home for, and he's only going to be home for three and a half days. So he's got to go to the wedding rehearsal, the wedding, as well as the party. (laughs) And some in my family, who will go unmentioned at this point, have tried to treat this as if the president is coming to town and have mapped out his time like you would never forget. <laughs> and he's on the phone with me saying, Dad, I'm only going to see you for three to four hours. <laughs> I've got everything i got to do, and it's not even in Canton. It's somewhere else. I'm only going to see you one night for three to four hours. And so I've tried to speak that into the rest of the gang, but everybody's excited because Jake's coming home, Jake's coming home, Jake's coming home. And, of course, the question comes down to, well, where... Does he go? Does he go to our house? Does he go to this one's house? I have four kids, or this one's house, or this one's house. Or should we go hither, or should we go not? I finally said to everybody, listen, home is not a physical address, and it never has been for you. We have lived in parsonages our whole life. That was a house. That was a location, and your homes are nothing more than locations. Home is where we are. And wherever all of us can be together at one time, that is what home is. Solomon built this house for God. He built God a home because it was in his father David's heart to do so. You have come to know it as Solomon's temple. Now part of what I read to you today, or part of what happened before this rather, is that King David rose up one day. And he spoke these words. I want you to hear them. Hear me. I had it in my heart to build a house for the re- of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of God. And I made preparations for that building. But God said to me, you may not build that house. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told me to when he said, your son, who I will set on your pl- throne in your place, will build that house for me. You know, the, the, the temple was a place of God's glory, but David couldn't do it because he was a man of war. David passed on the architectural design to his son, but David built up all the treasure to do it. He accumulated wood and everything that it would take to build this house. All the building materials and all the money that he could find to pull this off. Some have estimated that that temple, which wasn't really all that big, but it was overlaid in gold, if it was to be built today, it would cost, get this, $3 billion. That sounds like a lot to you, but just remember, gas was up over $4 last summer, so it makes sense. And here, Solomon has built that house. Solomon has built that place, and here he has blessed the people, and now He's praying to God. I want to tear this temple apart for a minute. And we'll do that by dismantling what we read. The temple. The heart of David. The heart of David. that, That heart that had in it the desire to build a house for the name of the Lord. That's what we're talking about today. But his son Solomon goes out and speaks to the leaders of Israel and tells them what was in his father's heart. Look at this verse for a minute. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands to heaven and he prayed, O God of Israel, there's no one like you in heaven above, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Catch that, that tail end. Who walk before you with all their heart. You know, the Old Testament thought was that we're made up of three things. We're made up of a physical body. It's funny, you know, I came in this morning. If you haven't noticed, I got a haircut. It's pretty tight, isn't it? I wasn't planning on being with you today, but this, this assists me with motorcycle riding. So I I asked to get it cut this way. And Kara was asking me, you know, about my haircut. And I told her, I said, Kara, when I eat and my stomach gets bigger, my hair pulls into my head. She did not believe that. But we're made of a body, it's the physical element, all this stuff, the skin, the organs, everything that's in us. But we're also made of a spirit. Remember, God breathed into Adam and Eve a spirit? There's this other part. It's this, because you know, this body will die. It will be placed in the ground and it will decay. From dust we came to dust we will really return. And that spirit that was breathed into us from God gives us life. We can go our whole life and have a spirit in us that's dead. Did you know that? And the reason is because what really matters is our soul. That third part that they believed we had, it, it, the soul. Hebrew word nephesh, the, it's the center of your being, it's the part of you that makes moral judgment decisions, it's what makes you, you, and me, me, and if you'll notice in this passage, these people have chosen to do something, they've made a moral decision, a spiritual decision with God to follow him, how? With all their heart, that means with all of their being, with their soul, they've made an eternal decision decision of sorts and look at this passage Solomon's preaching or praying rather and he says if a famine comes to the land if there's a pestilence or a blight or a mildew or caterpillars or whatever it might be when your people pray if any one man prays they stretch out their arms knowing the affliction of their own heart did you hear that knowing what's going on with them. Have you ever asked somebody what's bugging you? Have you ever been asked what's bugging you? Solomon is saying here, when they are distressed, they can come to you because you know who they are and what's going on inside of them. And it all surrounds this matter of the heart. And Then Solomon prayed and he said, if they sin against you, because we all sin, but look at that 47th verse, if they turn to their heart, if they turn their heart on the land to which they've been then carried captive. Look at the 48th verse. If they repent with all their heart and their soul, if they have made a bad decision and made a moral judgment, made a spiritual act that is out of what it should be, understand, God, that hearts can change. God knows that. Understand that hearts can turn. God knows that. And even what Solomon prayed in this prayer, he, he said if they go into bondage because of sin, that happened. They went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And as the prayer is ended, Solomon prays this blessing on the people. Look at this. Let your heart be wholly true to the Lord our God. Walk in his statues and keep his commandments as at this day. David is blessing the people. He's prayed to God, but now he's finished his prayer and he's exhorted the people to be right. Let your souls be in tune with God. May you be blessed to the end that your decisions and all your walk and everything you do and everything you say go the way God would have it to go. Let the heart Be true to the Lord our God. Let your inner being be right with him. And then he says, in the 39th place, here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know, according to all his ways.
1: Remember, Now, I don't
0: remember this. I used to have the cassette tapes of this. Remember, I think it was the radio show called The Shadow? How many of you remember that? You may not want to raise your hand on this one. That's okay. But the question was always said, Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Well, that's not quite true. But God does. And and Solomon has prayed that here. And God has told Solomon that you've got a great privilege to be king and to build this, but you also have great responsibility. I'm going to establish my throne forever, and I will keep David's children on that throne as long as the people walk in obedience. If their souls become right with me, I'll be right with them. But if their souls become wrong with me, I will lovingly discipline them. In church, that's how it is with us. Solomon built a home for God. He built a house for the Lord. And it brings me to what my my bottom line is this morning. And it's this simple. The condition of your being is more important to God than the presence of a building. The condition of your being is more important to God then not only the presence of a building, but get this, your presence in a building. You know that the Bible teaches that since Jesus came and, of course, the temple's been destroyed, that there's still a temple. L- listen to this passage that Paul wrote. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Do you realize that individually Christians are supposed to be a dwelling place for God? That when we accept Jesus into our heart, we become the temple of the Lord? I want you to think about that for a minute. What's living in you? What have you opened your door to? on your house. Listen if you would to Ephesians 2.21. Paul wrote this. He said, In whom the whole structure, speaking of the church universal, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now if we could take an arm and connect it from this building to another group of believers across town or up north or around the world. That's what Paul's addressing here. The the church on earth is like a structure that's been built correctly, and it grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Remember how Solomon prayed and he said, God's everywhere? It's kind of the concept here. No matter where you are, there you are, God is everywhere, but church, we are a temple for the living God, but now I want to bring it down to you that sit in this room or that should be sitting in this room and have joined us online today. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3:16 these words, "Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you?" He's talking to a local church and he says, "As a local group of believers, you are God's temple, and God's spirit should be dwelling." In you, so, so the individual is a temple of the Lord, and the local group of believers that join together for worship should be a temple for the Lord, and the church universal around the earth is a temple for the Lord all at the same time, because God's not contained by walls. And the reason is God's concerned about the same thing with us that he was concerned about with David and with Solomon and with everybody. Notice how many times the word heart was used this morning. Did you notice in that long prayer how many times the word heart was used? I went to the, <laughs> I've scheduled a number of doctor appointments while I'm off to try to take care of some business. And I went and had a test run. And I'm not going to get into detail here, but let's just say that the test that was run was determine what's wrong with my pinky, my index finger. There's nothing wrong with my index finger. But I went and asked them to find out what was wrong with with something. And they ran this big test, which I'm sure is going to cost a pile of money, and I got the report back. And the report goes like this in layman's terms. Your ankle looks shaky. That left knee's got some big problems. You know, your right shoulder is going to cause you difficulty very soon. And you know that thing in your neck, it really hurts? Well, yeah, it's there. You got a little something there it needs to be shaved off. And by the way, did you ever know you cracked your skull at some point in life? And, oh, yeah, we can't find your gallbladder. Well, yeah, because I had it taken out 20 years ago. And it just goes on and on like that. But then at the end, you know what it says? But your index finger is unremarkable. <laughs> God's not concerned about wherever you are, there you are. God's concerned about who you are, and there you go. God's more concerned with who you are than where you are. That family of mine, you know, we got to meet at this one's house. we got to meet at this one's house. we got to invite all the aunts and the uncles. we got to do all this. No, 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 no. God's not concerned with where we'll be, and Jake isn't either. But he is concerned with who you are. What's always made at home is not the the address on the street box, the mailbox. What is always made at home is who was there and who they were. that is the reason that in God's fine plan, he realized that we could never, because we're sinners, be at home anywhere. You know, the people in Midvale for me were wonderful, but they weren't home. <laughs> people in Bolivar, if you ask my kids tomorrow, where's home for you? They would say Bolivar. It was so wonderful for them there, but that's not home. That place down there in Denison, heaven forbid, that certainly was not home. Alliance, Ohio, it wasn't home. And even where I reside today, even though the trustees chose to fix the air conditioner this week, it's not home. And home is not where the heart is. Home is where Jesus is. Home is where other Christians are. And home is where God resides. Amen.